podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching a special Mother's Day message titled, Biblical Womanhood, Strength and Dignity Are Her Clothing. We hope you are blessed by the message today. There are people in our culture, and you will be well aware, and it is very timely that this week there is an incredible attack on life. In this last month, there's been an incredible attack on what the Bible calls biblical gender or womanhood in particular. Um, and it is in the, it's in the forefront of our culture's conversation, and the church should not be silent. The people of God should know how to speak and answer and give response to when the world is lying. And we should not be ashamed. We shouldn't be afraid. We should have every word, every bit of grace and humility to say what needs to be said in a way that exalts Christ and gives truth to the hearers. But there are people right now in our midst, and I, I was a little late to the game because I did a little searching, of course, in preparation for this study, but there are people, leaders, leaders in our country that God has put placed in authority that have a very hard time with that question, what is a woman? And you, maybe in your mind you already know where I'm going with that, but there is a, in the last month, there, that definition or that question was asked to a prominent figure within our system of leadership and our governance, and, and it was unable to be answered. So when I say that we want to celebrate mothers and encourage the women in this church, what I mean is that there are, in fact, very important distinctions between the human female and the human male that should be celebrated and honored. And there are people in this world that don't want to celebrate those distinctions, but in fact, muddy every bit of the distinctions that God has given and instead celebrate a lie. We don't want to be there. So today, what your, act, your active participation in this is to th- together agree with the Scriptures and say, God, you are right. God, you are good for doing what you did. We can all take part in that. So men, women, that is our task today, to give glory to God for those and celebrate those distinctions. For instance, just to be very basic, a man will never be a woman. A man will never be a mother. A woman will never be a man, and a woman will never be a father. This is true biologically, it's true logically, and it's also true theologically, which is the most important one. As we study God and the nature of God and who He is, He gives us the definitions for these things. And He gives us the trajectory and the the places where we are to think and, and learn these things, and then also how to speak truth. The fact that these statements like... What is a woman? As true as these answers are that a man will never be a woman and a woman will never be... As true as those are and as basic as those are, the fact that these statements are even contested today is not because we have suddenly reached new evolutionary benchmarks. That is oftentimes the answer given. Well, now we've more evolved and we've figured more out today than what previous generations and ancient men and women ever knew. But that's just not true. The truth is, the reason why these are contested, it's because of a forsaking of Jesus Christ. It's a forsaking of Christ. And it's a satanic agenda to banish the God of Scripture from all human thought and to undermine His authority and raise up in His place a God of everyone's own making and liking. And that doesn't always result in the blurred lines of gender. It results in all sorts of sin and self-seeking and self-pleasure. 
that at the base of that is a lack of surrender to Christ. You're not surrendered to Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, the king of the universe, the creator of men and women and everything else that we see. And Satan is behind that agenda and he's pushing it and it's coming out hard. But the people of God, the church of God, think of Daniel, think of the kingdom, think of where Christ is and that he reigns. That is our very answer for why we should be speaking truthfully, openly, lovingly, but often at times loudly, sometimes quietly. We need the Lord's leading in that, don't we? We need God to lead us on when to speak, how to speak, who to speak to. And all this needs to be said. Because we've been listening and we've been observing that the world is confused. The world is confused. But if you're here today, and I want to be very understanding here and clear, if you're here today and you're confused about gender identity, can I just say, first of all, that I love you and the church loves you? And I don't mean you in particular. I'm saying about the understanding of gender identity, the world's conversation about it. Like so, so Christians can look at the conversation in the world, and then some, and then and then go, wait, this is a little confusing. And so I just want to call you to this fact that God is patient. The God of the Bible has a deep, deep love that is extending to all of us today. That is, He's saying, I, I am here. I, I have a word for you. I'm forgiving. I'm patient. I'm gracious. But more than any of that, here's what you need to know: that God is committed to righteousness, and He's committed to His truth. The most loving thing in every situation, it doesn't matter what it is, the most loving thing is to speak truth. Now, how we say that does matter. How we speak, what manner, what, what is our heart behind that? But the truth is loving. Again, that's another lie. The world will tell you that the truth is not loving. What you need to do is just tell somebody what they want to hear, and that's loving, but it's not true. The truth is Love, and why do we know that? Because Jesus Christ is the truth, and he is love. So when we speak truth as Christians, we're pointing to Jesus, not a definition that we've made up. We're pointing to Christ and the God of Scripture. We're pointing to the Word of God. So the most loving thing I can do when I know it is Satan that is inciting confusion in this world and in the minds of even Christians, and it is Satan who is twisting the words and the intentions of God, the most loving thing I can do this morning is speak timeless truth to you today. So the question is, what is a woman, according to Scripture, to the point that we're really getting at? Look at this foundational verse with me. Turn over to Genesis 1. We'll get back to Titus in a moment. I'll spend some time there. But Genesis 1, 26 to 28 answers this question for us. There are many other places, of course, we can go to have a very beautiful, rounded definition of what this is, what a woman is, according to Scripture. But Genesis chapter 1, the book of beginnings, this foundation of all things, says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know what's beautiful about this text? And there's many things that that can be said about this. But this is where we are introduced to this most beautiful phrase, For the first time ever in Scripture, and it is the word, the image of God. The image of God. 
The Latin phrase I think is even more beautiful. If you don't know it, you should learn it. The Imago Dei. The Imago Dei. Know this. Know this doctrine. Know what the Bible speaks about the image of God. How did God choose to show his likeness, his image to every corner of creation? How did he choose to show himself? And it was through his image bearers. Human beings, men and women created in the image of God. So the first point I want to make to you this morning, women in this room, is a woman is a human female created in the image of God with dignity and value and gifts and abilities given uniquely to her by her creator, Jesus Christ. That is a powerful statement. And it is true. And I hope you know it. I hope you embrace it. I hope it's what you fall back on in those moments where you don't feel these things but that it is a good thing. This is a good thing that God has done. Design is good. Design is good. Design speaks of purpose and uniqueness. Aren't these things the world is crying out for? In the attempt to define these things, they muddy the very truth, but God is the one who gives purpose. The designer speaks of uniqueness and creativity, and a design speaks to the genius of a designer. And God is genius, isn't he? God of everything. Who are we talking about here? God of all creation. I want you to try to create something from nothing and make it work with all of the parts and the intricacies and the microscopic to the macro level. All of these things that work that God has done, isn't he awesome? He's genius. And part of that creation was the woman. He created women. After his image. The Bible does not degrade women, as some skeptics, atheists, other camps will say. The Bible does so, but it is not. The Bible does not degrade women, but it comes right out of the gate in the very first book of the Bible, swinging in favor of women as part of God's prize creation. That's where the Bible begins. Men and women created equally in the image of God after his likeness. Isn't that beautiful? Remember that. Design also trumps feelings that one might have. Design trumps feelings. We look to God as creator and designer, and that's where we look first, regardless of how we feel. And that's where we find rest. That's where we find purpose. Men and women are created equal under God in value and and dignity, but not created uniformly the same in terms of abilities and capacities and purposes. So I'm going to speak just a little bit more on womanhood itself, and then we're going to jump over to motherhood in particular, which would be the topic of the day for sure. And then I'll send you out of here with a really important charge for all the ladies in the room. The world is bent on attacking definitions. That is, that is true today. Definitions that have been clearly given to us by God, and one of those relentless attacks today is on the issue of a woman's role. All right, a woman's role or a woman's place in society and culture. And feminists hate even that phrase, a woman's place. Because you start saying that and you're like, oh, gosh, a woman's place. What are we saying? Because it means we, have, we would dare to think that there's a difference between a man and a woman. That we would dare to even begin the conversation that there's a difference between a man and a woman. When I think a man's general place, when I think of a man's general place in society, I don't have a problem with saying what's a man's place. What is a man's place in society? 
Uh, here's the things that come to my mind. I think of provider and sacrificial protector of women and children and the spiritual leader of his home. These are God-given characteristics. The list could go on and on, but these are things that come to my mind when I think of that. And the majority of mankind will agree with this and naturally pursue this because they are created that way. The, when I say man and mankind, and that is, I mean, the majority of men will take up that arm as a natural order because God created you that way, to protect, to preserve, to provide, to sacrifice. It's a God-ingrained genius design. But what about a woman? Has God said anything about a woman? Has he said anything, or is God silent? Now, if he were silent on this issue, we'd have a lot of fill-in-the-blank questions where we could just say whatever we want. But God is not silent. Praise God, he's not silent on this. Here's what one author said, just to kind of help us think about this. The Word of God speaks to the issue of motherhood and womanhood. And if the Word speaks, then it's authoritative. If it's authoritative, then it's true regardless of culture, circumstances, or perceived Relevance. So if the word of God is speaking, it's authoritative and it's true. And we can count on that. And one place the word of God speaks clearly on this subject is in our text that we read already. Titus chapter 2. So go ahead and back there, go back there to, you, to where you were in the scriptures. Titus 2. And we're going to look at that for just a moment. What we read is, is truly God's word on the matter. There's other places we could turn. This is one that, that does very well in encapsulating biblical womanhood. But with this, I want to make clear and make some very clear statements that, that really do encapsulate biblical womanhood. And the first one is this. Biblical womanhood describes a woman who is created in the image of God and is reverent in her behavior. This is what Scripture tells us. Where does it say this? Verse 3 of Titus, 1, of Titus chapter 2, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. This is God's word. So if you're a woman here today and you're wondering what is my place, where am I supposed to be, how am I supposed to be thinking, this is where we look. We look to God's word. What does that mean? To be reverent in behavior. The original language uses a word that is only used once in the New Testament, and it's actually right here. I love it when that kind of thing comes up, where there's one unique Greek word, usually a composition of, of a couple different Greeks come, Greek words come together, but Paul uses that word once, and it's just here in the entire New Testament, and it means the behavior fitting a holy person, or more specifically, a priestess. Isn't that interesting? That's what it means. The behavior fitting a priestess. What is that? You're like, I'm not a priestess. You don't dress like a priestess. But here, we're going to define that a little bit. John Stott said it like this. Older women are to carry into daily life the demeanor of priestesses in a temple. Or, as we might say, they are to practice the presence of God and to allow their sense of his presence to permeate their whole lives. That's what it means by priestess. One who's constantly... In the presence of God, representing the God of heaven to the people that she is around. Actively practicing the presence of God. That is reverence. That's not demeaning. Now to read that scripture and just say, you're, you're telling me I need to be reverent? And, and to hear it in a demeaning tone, that's not what scripture is speaking. Scripture is speaking that this is a high calling, not a low calling. 
A high calling. That this is what God's word says a woman is to be. It's not degrading. That women created in the image of God would walk in the presence of the Lord. Isn't that where we want to walk? Isn't that where men and women originally did walk? In the presence of God? To desire his presence. And so women in the room, that's a high calling. Take this as an instruction to you for your heart. And, and God's perfect design for you to be reverent is to practice the presence of God. Then Paul instructs Titus to teach the older women in the church to avoid two common moral failures. After saying to think about their behavior as reverent behavior, he then goes to a negative and says, here's what you don't do. And the two things he mentions is do not slander and do not be a slave to wine. That's what he mentions in that context the word for slander is actually a very familiar word, and it might surprise you. And this, it surprised me. Sometimes I do get surprised, and I like getting surprised. I like learning new things. It's the Greek word, diabolos. Isn't that interesting? Where's the word diabolos from? We all know this. It's very familiar. A word often used for who? The devil. Because he is the great what? Slanderer. He's the great accuser. Paul specifically chose a word here to say, Women, be reverent in your behavior. Practice the presence of God. Don't be a devil. That's what he says here specifically. Of course, we're going to flesh this out. I'm not accusing any women in the room of being such. Okay, so just listen here. Let's just walk patiently together through the scriptures. But here's God's word saying, Paul says, do not slander. Do not be this way. One commentator put it this way. A slanderer is a person who cannot control their tongue in speaking lies, false accusations, and spreading malicious gossip, whether true or untrue. They are the work of Satan himself. They cannot be slanderers and serve God. The point of telling Titus to instruct the women in the church this way is to teach them to control what? Their tongues. Don't be slanderers. Be reverent. Walk in the presence of God. Walk in holiness. Walk with Jesus. Don't fall to this temptation. Control the tongue to master their words and not fall prey to the wicked trap of the enemy. Master your words. The second moral failure spoken to the context of the church that Titus was shepherding. This is a young pastor, Titus. Paul's instructing him on how to lead the church. Was that of being given to wine. And this must have been an issue for this particular context. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have said it there. Those two specific things. Women must be reverent, must not slander, and not be given to wine. Don't be overtaken with wine. But there's an overarching point when you put these two things together. So this is my second point in putting these two warnings together. Biblical womanhood describes a woman who was created in the image of God with value and dignity and has mastered her emotions and her appetites. That idea of not being given to wine is thinking of controlling your appetite. The things that you want to do, the things that your appetite, your sinful cravings might say, this is what I want right now in this very moment. But that's not a biblical woman according to Scripture. 
Have you mastered your emotions and your appetites? It's just a question I want to ask you because I love this church and I love the women in this church and we want to see God's word and his work permeate through every person here. So I ask that openly and boldly. I want you to think of it honestly as a challenge from God's word and from the Holy Spirit who loves you to think about that. A woman of God does not drown her sorrows in a bottle but looks to Christ her king and his sufficiency. A woman of God takes her urge to gossip or entertain gossipers and seeks instead to pray for all with humility and compassion. Controlling the tongue. Controlling the urge to gossip and entertain gossipers. A woman of God knows who she is in Christ and has no need to look for her identity in any created thing. She is a she is beautiful. A woman of God is beautiful because of her maker and has much to give to this world without having to go outside of the order which God has set in place for flourishing. A woman of God doesn't have to go outside of the created order of God to find flourishing in her life. And that is often where we find much of our culture going, both men and women, is outside of the design of God, the order of God, the loving nature of God, and how he has infused that into the world, going outside of that to find satisfaction, to never, ever find it. To wander aimlessly, though God has given truth. And truth is truly where freedom is. So when a woman walks reverently before God and with self-control over her appetites and emotions, Paul says that she's re ready then to do what? She's ready then to train others. Look at verse 3. Teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. This is a task, notice, that Paul does not actually give to Titus himself. He skips Titus, and he says, Titus, no, you don't go instruct the young women. Actually, I want you to instruct the older women to instruct the young women. Isn't that interesting? He didn't take that upon himself or to say, hey, here's, here's primarily the pastor's job to teach the young women. No, I'm giving that to the older women in the church. Older women in the church, what does that mean? They're like, well, I consider myself pretty young. Well, okay, now listen, we need to think about that, Right? <laughs> Because if everybody just says, well, I'm a young woman, then nobody's teaching. Right? So let's not be superficial and carnal about this. Let's seek the, the word of God. And if you should be teaching, <laughs> you should be teaching. And who are you to be teaching? Older women in the church? Young women. What is a young woman? We've got to define that. We've got to think through this. Right? I don't think it's probably what most of us are thinking, where we have these arbitrary lines of what is young and what is old. But it's something that God does. It's a place where God has brought you in your life to where he's readied you to teach and to disciple in the church in a way that brings the church to great fruitfulness. We can't do this without older women. Can't do this without younger women. Can't do this without women. Can you see where God is placing in the, the mind of Paul to tell Timothy the importance of women in the church? It's here. Very, very, very important. He asks the older women, but not just spiritually older, but he brings up specific benchmarks in their life. Those who have matured in life, those who have married, those who have walked with God through trials and have seen their faith tested through those benchmarks that you only reach at a certain point in your life, sometimes at 19, sometimes at 35. It's all across the board. 
but how God works and brings circumstances in your life to grow you and to mature you. But they've seen their faith tested to specifically take on this important role to then teach the younger women around them. So not only to not be slanderers, don't be drunk, be reverent in behavior, but also teach what is good. That's what you are to do with your mouth, with your words. Amen? That's an an instruction, a very specific call. Teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands. Let me just throw this out there. This is what one best-selling author right now in the world is saying. When women lose themselves, the world loses its, is it, excuse me, loses its way. We do not need more selfless women. What we need right now is more women who have detoxed themselves so completely from the world's expectations that they are full of nothing but themselves. What we need are women who are full of themselves. A woman who is full of herself knows and trusts herself enough to say and do what must be done. She lets the rest burn. From Glennon Doyle, best-selling author right now in our world, and women are reading her books. She has claimed at times to be a believer. She has had a lesbian relationship. She is evil. But this is what's being read. And I wanted to say, ladies, do not read this book. Do not read this woman's books. If you have, you're not condemned. Go home. Don't sell it on eBay because then somebody else has to have it. Either burn it or bury it. If you burn it, you look weird. If you bury it, you look weird too. I don't know. Figure something out. (laughs) But stop reading this. If it appeals to some part of your carnal nature or your sinful nature, realize that, that it's appealing to not God's Word. It's appealing to you, the fleshly part of you that doesn't want to do the hard work of womanhood according to Scripture. And guys, listen, your, your time's coming, okay? It's not, we're going to lay it on thick too on, on Father's Day. But God's Word takes this seriously. So why should we not? This is important This stuff that we just read, it's just gross, right? It's gross, but it's being touted as freedom and revolution for women. This is what's being preached. The author goes on later to say this, The only thing that was ever wrong with me was my belief that there was something wrong with me. That is anti-gospel. That is anti-freedom. If it's anti-gospel, it's anti-freedom. Just so you know, there is no freedom outside the gospel. There might be freedom to do whatever you want, but according to God's word, that's the oldest lie of the enemy. To appeal to the side of you that just wants to do what you want and to be your own God. The trap for women, just as it is for men, is conformity to the loudest voices in the world and the rejection of eternally relevant truths from God. To reject God and listen to those loud voices that are out there right now. And I understand it's tempting at times and it's appealing to want to remove yourself from the hard work and the labor and the sweat and the toil and the blood and the heartache of being a woman of God. But we're talking about truth as opposed to lies. Remind yourself of that. Who is behind the lie? Satan is the father of all lies. 
God's word defines what a woman is. God's word tells you who you are. And though sin is what makes that very difficult to do, listen to this, Jesus Christ suffered and died so that you can die to all your sinful desires. He suffered and died so that you can die to sinful desires and pursue Christ and pursue righteousness and pursue biblical womanhood. And it's only possible through surrender to Jesus. To submission to Christ and his word. So that you can walk in resurrected life and true freedom as you follow Jesus. Now caught in the crosshairs of this conversation of, the, of what biblical womanhood is or in the world about womanhood is, is none other than motherhood. So in the conversation about womanhood, you have in there then what does it mean to be a mother? And although not every woman is a mother or will be a mother or can be a mother for various reasons, all of which those circumstances demand the empathy and the compassion and the understanding from the church. We have a variety of circumstances in this room and we have compassion and we walk with people that are suffering, that are going through trial, that long to be moms, that aren't yet. We say, God, your will be done. We walk with people and we point people to Jesus Christ who is the ultimate fulfillment. All of these things demand that the church do that, but it still remains that motherhood and the raising of children in the Lord is a valuable and precious gift from God. Is it not? It's in God's word. He's given it. It is valuable. It is precious. It's a gift from God. In Genesis, if you look shortly after that text, in Genesis chapter 1, he goes into chapter 2, and kind of begins to, oh, there's a parenthesis in that text that begins to kind of flesh out more of what womanhood is and what marriage is, and that's a great place to go to look at those things. But in Genesis, with the command to procreate and multiply image bearers, we see the call of motherhood right there from the beginning. You know, when he says, go and be fruitful and multiply, he's saying that to the image bearers of God, men and women. And in that command is, go be moms and dads. I mean, to procreate then is to create mothers and fathers. In being fruitful and multiplying, that's what's happening. It was so ingrained in humanity from the beginning that one of the greatest travesties for an ancient Hebrew woman was not that they would miss out on a successful career. We don't find that in the Old Testament. We don't find women sad and and, and upset and complaining that they can't be as successful as somebody else or successful as a man or so, whatever it is. We don't find that at all. But what we find is that they were very sad and distraught and, and crushed by what? Barrenness. That's how ingrained this was in early culture. God's command to go was taken seriously. God's command to multiply was taken seriously. Women wanted to bear children. And then on top of that, the promise of Messiah was what? That a a woman would bear a child. And so you have that also working through all of human history with with women longing and, and hoping that their child might be the Redeemer of Israel. Maybe this one. Maybe this one. Pregnant again. Maybe this one. But to be barren was a crushing reality. So it would be an understatement to say that motherhood is important. Right? That's a mass. It's, it's not only important. It's crucial. Motherhood is, incru- is crucial. Biblical motherhood, to add to that, is absolutely imperative. We must seek this out. Women in the room... 
pray about this, think about this. That the world would be filled with God-fearing women who mother in every respect that that the Lord allows them to. And I say that because you may not be in a place to mother the way you want to right now, but you are in places where you can mother in other ways. God has ingrained that nature into you as a woman of God. Some biologically, some through adoption, some through other relationships. And so you open your eyes and you say, God, how can you use me today? How, do you, how will you use me in the way you've created me with my capacities and my desires and my purpose to mother, to nurture? But to be that reverent woman of Christ, trusting in his salvation, teaching others to follow your steps as you follow Christ. How awesome to have a church filled with women that tell other women and the world, for that matter, follow me as I follow Christ. That's not a call for men. It's a call for every believer in Jesus, every follower of Jesus Christ. To the younger women in the room, again, I'll let you define that, who are longing for motherhood in your future. Maybe you're in that place of you're, you're young, right? You're young. You're not even married yet. You're, you're looking forward to this. But you're longing for it because God has designed you for that longing. The road before you is a high and honorable calling. As a young woman, as you look forward, you look into Scripture, that as God defines what womanhood is, and you can see very clearly it is a high calling. To be a godly woman, to be a godly mother, and to nurture a home someday is not a lesser of the occupations that this world has to offer, right? Isn't that often what is said? To, to mother and to, to be at home with children is lesser, so I need to aim for what the world is doing, and I need to get out of the house, and I need to go have a career. Now, this is, this is a longer conversation, obviously, because there are women in this room who have careers and have capacities and, and gifts and talents to go, but that is never something that should be done to the sacrifice of children or home. That's where we can clearly draw that line. Has, are you uh, given a, a law in life where you must work outside the house or where you've chosen that path? And that's the question you need to continually ask. Are my children in my home and my husband, are they suffering? Do they lack because I'm rejecting and ignoring a God-given instruction and something that's been given to me as a design? And I'd say that uh, that can be done. Both can be done. Right? Women can work outside of the house and glorify God. They can. So I, I pray that if you're offended by that, we can, we can talk about that. But I, I just want, I want you to see what God's Word is saying here and be encouraged that you do have a design and a maker who's made you and given you purpose. And just seek, seek Him in that. For those who are unsure of motherhood because society has called it inferior or you've seen only bad examples of it or you keep experiencing bad examples of it so it causes you to doubt. Like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I'm not sure I like this. I've only had bad experiences. Or for any of our sisters who are, in fact, barren to this day, do not lose hope. Your hope is in Christ. He, Jesus Christ, is the suffering high priest. He's the suffering high priest. Have you suffered in motherhood? 
Remember who suffered for you. He is the suffering high priest who on your behalf experienced loss and pain and agony and so much suffering so that by faith, by your faith, the woman of God, by your faith, you can have the deepest and most fulfilling identity in him. He did that for you so that you can find all of your joy and satisfaction in him first. And that is hard work, is it not? But guess who did the harder work? Jesus Christ. He did the hardest work in suffering for you, in being your substitute, in feeling the pain of the sin of this world and all of that that comes with it. So my final charge to you this, this morning is this. Women of New City Church and guests, if you're here by God's providence hearing this message and you're not a part of this family, I, I pray that God will speak to you as well. But being a mother is an investment worth a lifetime. It is an investment, regardless of what Glennon Doyle tells you or whoever her colleagues are. Reject that truth or reject that as a lie and embrace this truth that motherhood and being a mother is an investment worth a lifetime. It is worth it. You are frontline disciple makers, moms. Frontline disciple makers. You've got little or big disciples in your home. And that is a God-given task. And you're to do this how? Well, if God's blessed you at this time with a husband, then you, have, you do that with your husband. If not, if you're single and you're doing this, you do this alongside the church. And again, the church comes alongside you with empathy and compassion and grace and help because that's what the body of Christ does. God has created you to nurture, to give, to sacrifice, to love, to empathize, to fight for life. And I wanted to say that very specifically because what else is happening this week is an, an all-out oh, outrage, an attack Again, on human life, and God has designed women to bear children and to give life, and the, the culture wants to take life and is upset that we would actually ask that unborn children be kept alive. But God has not created you that way. Women in particular, with their heart to nurture and care and give life and sacrifice, God has, so let God appeal to that part of you to fight for life, not take it. To fight for truth. To feel pain. God has designed you to feel pain to a greater degree and threshold than any man in this room could ever possibly imagine. That's unique. And only you can do that. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. But that's even blurred today. But that's God's gift to you. And if you're struggling with that, well, then why did he give, why? That doesn't sound like a gift to go through pain. <laughs> There's grace in that too. Even the gospel. And, and even just this idea of longing and waiting for the coming, the second coming of Christ is likened to birth pangs. Right? What comes after delivery and what comes after birth is the joy. And all of this shows forth a side of the nature of God that humanity would never know without you. Women in the room, that's you. 
Every one of you, mothers or not, women in the room, we know a side of the nature of God because of you. And that's extremely valuable. So press forward in your calling, ladies, whatever that is, wherever you are right now in your journey and you're walking with Christ, press forward in that. The enemy of womanhood is not man or a man or men. The enemy of womanhood is not society at large. Ultimately, the enemy of womanhood is what? Sin and Satan. The enemy of biblical womanhood is sin and Satan. And the power over both is Jesus Christ. The power over both is his cross and his resurrection. That's where I'm encouraging you to look today. Remind yourself of that. Be reminded, husbands in the room, help your wives remember this. In a love, I'm not like, hey, remember what the preacher said. <laughs> no, I mean, you, lovingly, with your own words, remind them. And the church, we need to step up too, as a whole. Just as we do with any discipleship relationship, we encourage people to walk with Jesus and look to him in the midst of whatever is hard and all the, the pains of this life. And I'll end with these words from a famous mother of an ancient king. Proverbs 31, 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Is that not the most inspiring part of the sermon? Amen. Way better than my words. God is good. He is faithful. He has designed you, my sisters in Christ. And I pray that you look to him today. I really do pray that you're encouraged as a mom. If you've never mothered in the strength of the Lord, today's the day to start doing that. To begin that. Not to mother in your own strength, but in the strength of God. If your kids aren't in your home anymore, God has given you, a, or if they're about to leave, <laughs> as, as this is going to happen with us soon, um, seasons change, right? But you can still be an incredible gift and blessing to your kids. So I just pray you'd seek them. Let's pray. Father, we give you great, great honor and glory for being our Father. And you, Father, give good gifts. Every good gift comes from the Father of lights, who is never going to change. There's never a variation with you. You remain the same. And one of your good gifts to us was woman, womankind. You said it's not good that man be alone. So you gave him a helper, a perfect fit to come alongside and to glorify Christ. We know that's your ultimate design there we, as we read in the beginning of creation, but we know sin has corrupted and caused great, great turmoil and divisions and heartache. 
where that is certainly not the norm today. So we ask for an abundance of grace and mercy. We thank you that the gospel is true for the brokenhearted. For those that are sorrowful today, I know that you can meet them right where they're at and still encourage them with your loving kindness and the truth that Jesus is risen. And one day we will all be in heaven together. We'll all be in that great final kingdom and all pain and tears and sorrow and suffering will be done away with and we'll forever worship you. Thank you for the moms in this room. Thank you for our mothers that aren't here. Thank you you that we, we learned so much about you as our God through what a woman is. I pray that today these ladies would be challenged, encouraged, and even very repentant where you've convicted them today. But Lord, that this could potentially even be a turn of of events for some uh, to embrace the hard but well worthwhile task of of motherhood and womanhood. Lord, when we see blurred lines in our our culture, in our society, I pray we would be lovingly, graciously truthful, bold to proclaim what is true from your word because it truly is um, a picture of the gospel how you, Christ, died for your bride. You died for your bride to make her spotless and presentable in that last day. God, so thank you so much. Pour out your spirit on this place, Lord, as we remember you now and what you did for us at your cross. Continue to minister to us. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.